Hello and welcome everyone to a special episode of the Cultured Nerd Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be sitting down with Tim Coe and Chris Coe, the writers, producers, and director of The Girl in the Mask, a brand new fan film that's focusing on Stephanie Brown, aka the spoiler of Batman Mythos, and there's going to be a slew of fantastic characters. Uh, they previously worked on a Red Hood short fan film that people definitely know them by. So we are going to talk to them about making this project a reality, the Indiegogo campaign, and then kind of everything in between. So sit tight and let's get let's get to it. should unmute you all now because you're all <laughs> there we go um so uh john every time i play that video everyone is just like that is awesome and that song that you made is just <laughs> it catches people every time i see people's reactions backstage and they're like wow that's really cool it's so cool <laughs> i love it <laughs> glad you guys like it <laughs> but thanks for coming guys i i uh was actually put on to you guys by one of my writers. He found out about the project. He did this awesome write-up. He introduced us, and it's honestly really cool. Thank you. Th yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, thank you. Thanks, thanks so much for, for having us on, Taylor and John. Um, it's great to be here. So uh, the project is about Stephanie Brown, the spoiler, a character that is kind of notorious among comic fans for one reason or the other. Um, <laughs> I I love the character. I thought she was fantastic. Um, people kind of recognize her the most from being her recent incarnation of Batgirl. Um, that was during the post-Cassandra Kane, post-Barbara Gordon, now Oracle. She was Batgirl for a long chunk of time. Then they had like the multiple reboots of her, and now she's back to being spoiler. Um, but notoriously, she was most reviled as robin and mm. that's when i remember reading a lot of her was during uh robin and the whole war games storyline and such an so unfortunate storyline it is such an <laughs> it was honestly it was i remember reading it i'm like this is actually the perfect setup because she initiated this war games uh scenario to try to like rid the crime of gotham but she mm -hmm. didn't realize that this one persona matches Malone was the crux yep. of the whole thing. And she's like, why didn't he show up? And the Batman's like, cause it's me, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. I love, I love that. I love those panels where, where Catwoman's like, I can't believe Batman. Why didn't you tell her that matches Malone was you? <laughs> I love like, like how could you be so dumb? And then, and then yeah. of course, you know, Stephanie just, she, she's, Everything she's ambitious. Her. And I, I love that about her. Well, she was always one of those characters that, like, she had talent. Uh, she was very much like the 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 opposite of Tim Drake. Like, she had the talent, she had the notice, but she was trying to prove her worth to Batman and everyone else, and it always kind of backfired. Mm -hmm. um, while Tim Drake, he proved his worth by showing up at Wayne Manor saying, I know who you are. Yeah. Um, and Batman's like, all right, you're in. But Stephanie seemed to have this, like, major disadvantage to everyone else in that same regard. Yeah, yeah, it always felt like she was uh, overcompensating for something, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what you kind of already answered the question, but 
what intrigued you about this character and, and wanted to uh, kind of put her in the in the spotlight? Oh. Well, I, I guess we have to start with Red Hood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we kind of have to do to do that. Yeah, because in the uh, the second episode that that we produced for for Red Hood, um, we had a scene where there was a you know there's this the story called for a girl to be chased through a warehouse, and then you know I, I said, well, well, why don't we just have like this girl be somebody and just an in, Easter egg thing for right, an Easter egg thing. Fans. It was like, Oh, did you, did you know that there, there was a, a girl who's, who's Robin and, and uh, our, our actress who Adriana Mirkovich, um, she was playing this girl and we're like, Oh, and she's blonde. So it's like, yeah, she kind of looks like her. So, so we're like, yeah, let's make her Steph. And, and the, uh, the response to the trailer when people saw her in the in the olive drab uh, drab coat and the uh, the blue jeans and the purple shirt, everybody was like, "Is that Stephanie Brown?" <laughs> and we're like, "Wow, this is this is somebody." And then and then I went and looked into it, and that that was my introduction uh, introduction to the Stephanie Brown character. And I was like, "Hey Tim, this is like a really cool character. We got to do something like just about her." Yeah, and, and we and we immediately asked. Yeah, I mean, we I don't think we were even done with um, Red Hood fan series uh, episode two yet, and we already like we we asked Adriana, "Hey, would you be interested in reprising this role? You know, Stephanie Brown role? Because like this is really interesting that that the internet is sort of blowing up about." about Stephanie Brown on a Red Hood fan series uh, um, trailer. There were, I think, four shots of her in the trailer um, and not even like full like body shots. It's just like, oh, there's a shot of her. And, there, and everybody's like, that's got to be Steph. You know, she's got she's got the purple shirt on. She's got the green green jacket on and, and it looks like Steph. And there was no mention of Stephanie Brown in the trailer itself. Uh, and then we released the the uh, the episode, and people were just like, "Oh, it is Stephanie Brown. We knew it, you know." And and so it was just like, "Well, Adriana, you do you want to reprise this role? We might be we might do something with this." And then at, at that time, Chris started like reading every single panel. Yeah, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a Stephanie Brown wiki that has a chronological, you know, uh, li list of every issue that she's in, and. Uh, and I basically read through the whole thing, you know, that whole list from beginning to end. Um, and, that, you know, that that's uh, that's put together or maintained by, by an Ian Miller. And uh, so I'm, I'm indebted to him for for maintaining that. And uh, that, that was kind of like my deep dive, my, my binge into Stephanie Brown <laughs> binge reading. So I guess, I mean, our initial interest was just like, wow, there's 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 there are Stephanie fans out there that, that are craving Stephanie content. And, mm -hmm. uh, and at that time, once Chris started delving into the character and learning more about Stephanie Brown and sort of what makes her tick and uh, why she was introduced. And then of course, you know, the, the war games and the whole Robin thing, and then eventually becoming Batgirl and all of that. It was really, really interesting to us uh that the motivations of these character was you know was what the, what it was 
Yeah, there, I, I think something about Stephanie that, that really appealed to me as a character is that she really has um, a very full character arc. I, I think, like like John said, that, you know, she starts out as kind of overcompensating, right? Mm -hmm. And and she wants to prove herself. And, and she really grows, kind of grows out of that as, uh, it, you know, definitely uh, after war games, you know, there, there's still there's still some ups and downs, but I think she really grows as a character and in exploring how that growth might might happen in a character like Stephanie um, was something that really uh, appealed to us um, as we were writing this. So what was the decision to give her the the new costume? I mean, she's had this lush history of oh, yeah. designs over the years. I mean, she's got her original purple cloak with like the straight black mask obviously there was the the robin outfit that you, clearly it's tim drake's robin outfit that she just modified and her unique batgirl one but then her new costume has the, the purple hood and then the the face jaw mask that's about it so it was a very it's a very muted version of the costume it's very complicated but it's also a very conservative take on the costume compared to all of her other incarnations what was the decision of choosing that one and not the just the full-faced well costume. part of it was um we adriana has such such uh captivating eyes that we didn't want to <laughs> completely cover that off <laughs> you know and and especially on screen thanks for putting that up um it's especially on screen shot. when <laughs> you got it right there yeah i'm impressed <laughs> when when you've got um live action and you know, obviously, Spider-Man. They they did some things with Spider-Man where where uh, the eyes can emote a little more than than just you know just that plastered white you know single expression, right? Uh, more recently, anyway. Um, and uh, but uh, in live action, you've you've got to figure out a way to let your characters and your actors emote, and uh, and part of the the um, the idea behind using this version of of the costume was well, first of all, what's going to give our character, um, you know, the audience the most connection to our, to the character, right? And uh, and then also, what's going to give our actress uh, the most um, uh, ability to to communicate with the audience through expressions and and that sort of thing? But also, uh, we wanted to use a in our world we wanted to use a and lean more towards a more uh i guess you could say grounded and and real world slash tactical uh feel especially um with some of the modifications that we made um to the characters and i'm sure we're going to get to that but some of the characters around stephanie brown and um just grounding her in more of a uh, of a real real world tactical feel um just made sense and then and then also like when when we think of the character and the origin of the character we thought about well how how would stephanie actually put together this suit and um you know and it just made sense to us that a she might have she might have access to some some special uh um, application type um fabrication but she's not she's not bruce wayne she's not uh tony stark she doesn't have a you know uh, a wealth, resources. 
Exactly. A wealth of those resources. She doesn't have an R&D department that, you know, is throwing stuff away. Um, so, like, how, what, what, she, what would she actually put together? And, and a lot of it was, like, well, she would probably just buy stuff on Amazon, <laughs> you know? Um, and, like, like a full-on kick-ass cool. montage where it's like, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> like, like uh, uh, browsing, you know, what, what does that pouch look like, you know? But, you know... <laughs> um, no, I, but but it was it was sort of grounded in that and giving the character a little bit of a, um, a motivation of motivating the character to say, like, where where am I actually going to put this suit together? And and it does look a little hodgepodgey, but it's also it's also um, it, it looks like a, a suit that she actually put thought into put and together. Put together and yeah. and it. I think it's you know faithful oh. to to the look of of that particular design in the comics. So yeah, yeah. oh yeah, well, that, that, that was always the, that, the first uh, costume for spoiler. Her first costume was literally just a bunch of stuff she put together, and that's why it mm-hmm. looked the way it did. When she was right. running around in the the comics, you could tell that she wasn't refined. She she had made that, and yeah, that's what I always thought was so cool about her inclusion was that it was kind of like how all the other characters, I mean, the first time you see Batgirl in the comics, she was not a Bat family member. She was literally Barbara Gordon pretending to be Batman and then just started doing her own thing. Yep. Batman's like, stop it. And then eventually he's like, all right, come over. And like, but that's kind of what Stephanie Brown has been perpetually doing for like the last 30 years in the comics. She's never really been a <laughs> I want to know her. where she got well, her original And that's group. something that I love too about, like, you know. Knees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's something I love too about um, like the animated series Shadow of the Bat that they like mm-hmm. they really leaned into that like oh this is like yeah it's the same color as as Batman's suit but it's like it's like you know just gray tights and yeah. and you know and Robin grabs her and then tears the tears the back off and, <laughs> and then it it completes the costume all she needs is a bat it's simple at that point. <laughs> I love the fact that uh, you you had you referenced Spider Man. Um, th- the first thing that I that I thought of, I, I know you're probably referring to Tom Holland, but the first thing that I thought of was Andrew Garfield and how, yeah. uh, in the first Amazing Spider Man, he had his mask off a lot, and then in the second one, he had it on a little bit more, and they let Andrew Garfield act the part. He, his uh, body language, his, phys- his physicality is so communicative and yeah. very emotional and they and they just let him act the part so i love the fact that you made the choice to have her eyes be seen while still wearing wearing the mask and still being reminiscent of you know the pages and the panels of of the comic book and just letting the actor act i i i love that choice mm-hmm. well in the comics you get the the reader gets um the emotion and everything through the reading the words Mm -hmm. um and and obviously the artist can modify the the size of the eyes and and change that expression in a mask like that in a way that we can't do in real life um without without doing the whole um deadpool thing you know and and staging the entire face which you know (laughs) which would be cool but you know it's a lot of that's a lot of post-production that we just don't unless you want to do almost like stop level motion and just keep changing out the mask every time (laughs) there's just an insane amount of like it's not practical but like i honestly i i saw deadpool i'm like I want every superhero wearing a mask to do this. Like, it's this so cool. Is, I love how they did it. Uh, and, yeah. and, and you know, like Deadpool's mask, 
if you're just wearing the mask as a cosplay, you know, costume, it, you can't emote in it, right? And, <laughs> and in the <laughs> movies, in the movies, it's just so cool how he emotes with the eyes and everything. I just, I love it. I love it. But you know, we don't have um, the time or the budget to do that with, yeah. uh, with Steph. And um, and also, I I don't think it it serves the 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 character that we were writing the best to do it that way either. I think I, you know. Like you said, you know, being able to see her eyes is—I I feel like that's important for for uh, how we're doing stuff. Yeah, yeah it's I think definitely it, a happy compromise between like uh, ha not having the mask on and still wanting to be true to the comic. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. In in the girl in the mask, um, there's a lot of th themes of sort of this dualistic, you know, lifestyle, you know real versus you know the the life that you live in the shadows um and which which version of that is your true self and mm -hmm. uh and we really wanted to make this a story about stephanie and showing stephanie's eyes and showing her, stephanie's emotions and st her expressions uh just to us felt like it served that character um far better in in our version of this anyway so with this movie, you do have quite a supporting cast of, of awesome characters that are going to help Adriana be spoiler. Yeah. I mean, you've got Tim Drake, Red Robin, um, which is a fantastic character. He's been always like, if Batman has his Catwoman, spoilers, Catwoman is Tim Drake. It's always been that way. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Like, um, despite what they're doing with the character in the comics currently, I've always felt that Tim Drake's perfect match was always Stephanie Brown. And that's what they wanted us to believe for like 30 years. Yeah. But um, with the, the casting of Batman, you guys got Kevin Porter. And that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember watching this trailer and I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. There we go. It's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is it. Like, and, I mean, that's how we felt as soon as he like put the mask on. It was like, oh, oh we, we have Batman in the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it, it was like when I first saw it, it was one of those uh, moments. Like, I'm not sure if you ever saw that Will Smith interview where he was talking about Suicide Squad and when he saw Ben Affleck show up on set wearing yeah. the <laughs> And he was like, oh, my God, it's Batman. And so he like screaming. <laughs> and I was like, that's how kind of how I felt. I'm like, holy crap, it's Batman. Like, okay. Oh, my gosh. Seeing him on set, too, as soon as he came out of uh, his his changing room. And, and of course, I, I was there helping him put his mask on. So, it's you know. A uh, little bit, a little bit. Uh, um, the, the experience was a little bit spoiled that way. <laughs> but um, like, you, when, when you're on a stool behind Batman, like shoving his mask down onto his head, um, the the first reveal is a little bit less. Um, it it takes the punch out of the first reveal. But I got right. I got to um, experience that first reveal with through my son um, at the time he was seven, and he was standing in the corner, and he like. He was jumping like this, just like watching Batman, you know, get into his full thing. And he would like he could not contain himself. And I was and just Kevin like, turns around and, and, <laughs> it, and there were like there were several kids there and they were just like, it's Batman. <laughs> and and so I I I experienced that vicariously as well as, you know, I got to see Batman come to life in front of me. And he's 
in the, with the ears and everything. He's fully, I think he's seven foot two or something like that. Seven yeah, foot three. Um, and it's, it, you know, just like, like this. <laughs> your, your son is all of us. I mean, Evan Porter has been Batman since I was a kid. I still remember yeah. him from the, from the OnStar commercial. So <laughs> it, it's funny. Cause like, I, I remember always reading these stories about how like every actor, Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, every one of them, every time they put the costume on, they walk out for the first time and they're like, I feel like a jackass. I don't feel scary at all. They're walking out and then they look around and just see everyone's jaws drop and they're like, okay, I guess I'm really cool looking right yeah. now. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like, it's, it's really funny how that always seems to happen with every one of them. Even Ben Affleck talked about how he felt like just like a giant dork wearing the costume. And then everyone is just like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, but like Ben but, Affleck looks so good in the costume. Oh, yeah, he's so good there was that one story how he he asked Warner Brothers to borrow the costume for his son's birthday. So he's standing there in the Batman costume in his house and in, in, welcoming parents into his house. And he's like, "Yep, <laughs> this is me." <laughs> <laughs> but along along with Batman, uh, you have the two villains, and I didn't get a picture of Arthur Brown because he wasn't listed. There was no shots of him anywhere. But Arthur right. Brown is. In the comics, he's the Clue Master, and he's a really cool character. So uh, you have the two villains. You have Arthur Brown, and then you have uh, Mr. Cyanus himself, Black Mask. And the trailer probably gave one of the coolest shots of Black Mask that you've seen in live action, because I I legitimately, like, I was not the biggest fan of Birds of Prey, but Earl McGregor playing Black Mask was the only reason I still watched that, that movie. That was cool. That was <laughs> yeah, cool. But... When I saw this shot, I'm like, oh, that's the black mask I wanted in that movie, too. Like, not the one where he's just like, ew, there's blood. Ew, I'm going to be – cut their face off. Like, he was, <laughs> he was ridiculous, but it was, it was perfect. But this is the, the black mask where he's just like, all right, just kill everyone. I'm done. And just walks off. Like, that's the, the ruthless, terrifying guy. Like, I love the designs that you did for both of those characters. Like, oh, you have the mask for Arthur, and then obviously you showed black mask. Um, what was it like to bring these two characters to life in this uh, project? No, oh, that's exciting. It's exciting. Um, you know, we like like we uh, have said, um, Arthur Brown in in our story has gone through through some changes, and he's not quite the clue master that you see in the comic books. Although we've we've also said that if you were to care, compare him at all to the the clue masters, because there's so many different versions of yeah. him in the comics he was probably hitting closest to the uh the batman eternal um okay. version of of arthur brown although even that it's it's you know again we kind of do away with and in eternal i i think i think they sort of did, did away with the whole game show uh backstory and yeah. um the the corniness host, of the character yeah yeah, yeah. He's also they, a master martial artist somehow, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's somehow, great. right? He's a game <laughs> so, show host. Right, he's so, a he's uh, a B-rate Riddler. Alex Trebek beats the shit and, out of people at night. Okay, yeah, I, I can get my wrist. Yeah, um, but yeah. So again, the character that we really wanted to focus on in the story was Stephanie Brown, and and we just kind of had to figure out what what best serves the character of Stephanie um, in this version of of our of of Gotham in the, in this version of the world. And, uh, and sort of, I mean, Chris can speak to this, um, maybe a little more even, but, um, making, making Arthur Brown the way he is in our story, just 
it was because we felt like Stephanie needed more of the spotlight. And and when she was introduced in 647, um, it was still Clue Master who, who, who got the spotlight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she was a foil to that whole plot. Um, and it was, she was a foil to what Batman and Robin were doing in that whole situation. It's like, oh, well, let's throw Clue Master's daughter in there. Why not? Um, to help take down, take him down. And, and it was like, well, you know, our story is about Stephanie and, and, you know, we want to tell a story that, that supports her character and, and what, what so, kind yeah, of, what, what, what kind, kind of, of clue master, what kind of father yeah. best supports this, the character of Stephanie Brown. And, and so out came you know, how, how do we, you know, we, we get to see, uh, Stephanie discover who her father is yeah. and what he's all about. And, and I think the question is like, what kind of character would Arthur Brown be for Stephanie to do the things that she does? Well, we love the origin stories and, and Batman gets his alleyway, right? Um, with his parents mm-hmm. and, uh, Dick Grayson gets, uh, the, the circus, mm-hmm. even in the, in all of the continuities, um, the comic continuities, Stephanie Brown doesn't have her alleyway. She doesn't have her circus. She just sort of has this long, drawn-out, like, oh, abusive, you know, backstory, which is fine. And and it works for, for, for the character in the comics. And, and our version of it was like, well, we want her to have an alleyway. We want her to have a circus. What the thing that the that thing drives her to the one bad day, right? Um, yeah, that, that that drives her to become who she is. Although, and, yeah, we we don't lean on the one bad day um, as like the one thing that suddenly everything flips. She already has kind of in, innate in her character a sense of justice and a sense of like what she wants to do. Um, you know, she she wants to do something good. She she admires Batman and Robin, and she admires. Uh, these vigilantes and and so she kind of aspires to be kind of like that Uh and then you have this character development from just aspiring to be that Uh to having something actually happen in her life personally yeah so like her one bad day is is kind of like uh instead of a turning point it's kind of tipping the scale of where she was already trending to go so mm-hmm. yeah that, but i mean that's always how it's been in the comics so i mean every mm-hmm. every character good and bad has their one bad day but the villains take it poorly and the heroes rise above it mm-hmm. and that's how it's exactly. always been it's been that crux moment like batman had his one bad day where his life shattered but then mm-hmm. he turned it around i mean tim drake even had when his his dad was murdered by captain boomerang mm-hmm. he had his one bad day he could have gone on a murder spree but batman kept him in said no we're going to make sure that you get through this and he became a better version of robin afterwards yeah so every character has their one bad day but the heroes what do you do with it exactly yeah and in the comics in the comics we just you know we just didn't get that for stephanie um you know you sort of sort of sort of kind of get that in 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 eternal but but it was it was like her one bad day is oh she accidentally stumbled into a secret villain uh hive uh what do you gathering in her happening kitchen. in her living room <laughs> that, <laughs> that she 
overhears some things and sees somebody and now her dad wants to kill her. I was like, well, I don't know. That doesn't serve Stephanie's character the best. So, <laughs> you know, as, 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 a, as an origin, as a one bad day kind of thing. Um, so we, we've built a situation and we won't get into uh, the details of that situation, but we've built a situation where she does, she definitely gets her one bad day. And, I think uh, the, the other thing is that is that we're big fans of the uh, the original uh, Steph. Yeah. You know, the uh, the Chuck Dixon stuff. And and we're interested and kind of curious about um, what what would drive that Steph to become who she is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we kind of get the origin in Batman Eternal, which is kind of an alternate origin. Right. But um, I mean, the the, uh, the earlier ones are the ones that I read first. Because you know I was reading chronologically, and and that's the one that's the stuff that that I liked originally, yeah. and it's like okay, so what made her want to dress up in a purple costume and and go after her dad? <laughs> you know? Yeah, what happened there in six forty seven? What happened yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you got an awesome cast with this whole story too. I mean, you have, I mean, the Gotham. Yes. Like the big three of the GCPD. You got Renee Montoya, you got Harvey Bullock, and <clears throat> Commissioner Gordon. So you have this tremendous supporting cast to help flesh out your version mm -hmm. of Gotham. And your version of Gotham uh, from all the previews is some really cool concept art. But I'm really wanting to see where you take this. Like, do you have... Obviously, this is just going to be episode one. I mean, if this goes through and keeps going would you just keep wanting to build on that world because this is a we have four red hood we have four acts planned so okay um we, we have the entire thing written already yeah it's, and... a, two, it's a 150 page script um okay. essentially a two hour uh, uh feature length story and we originally wrote it that way and then we re realized that we probably need to break this up Right. into a few different chunks but, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars lying around to produce right. <laughs> you yeah. know uh or four hundred thousand or whatever it you know would take but but also it, it was what what happened is that when we decided to do that the script actually kind of naturally um uh, naturally fell into kind of four acts and it's like okay well yeah, and each and each act has kind of its own emotional arc, right? Um, so it's not act one is just going to end on this huge cliffhanger, like in the middle of, of something, and you're like, wait, that's it, that's the end. Um, it it actually had it brings you to kind of a uh, a cadence and yeah and a point in the story where it's like, okay, something has happened, and then then you're going to be like okay so what happens next but something has happened and each each one of the acts is uh one two and three are structured that way um just kind of naturally okay yeah and in terms of building the the world of gotham too yes uh we i mean it's a very much it's very much viewing the world um and the city and 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 all of the rest of the supporting characters through the lens of of stephanie's eyes um, and as she, you know, delves more into this, the, the darker side of Gotham, and if she, as she delves more into and, and begins to become more, let's say, mobile as a, uh, as a, uh, 
a vigilante in the city. You get to see more of the city. You, it, the the city opens up and and expands, and the world sort of opens up as as we continue on our 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 story. Um, it starts out rather small, where it's just like, well, she's, you know, she doesn't have like all the tech that that Tim Drake um, and and Batman have. She, you know, yeah, she's she can she can do stuff. She's she's uh, athletic and everything, but. You know, she doesn't have her grapnel gun to, to start out. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't swing rooftop to rooftop. Um, she's just very grounded as, as any other real person would be. And, uh, and also her day-to-day life is, is very mundane in, in one sense. Like, it's very real. Like, she's a college yeah, she's student a college and she, student. she yeah. goes to class and she, she puts together her, her Amazon bought um, suit stuff and then she goes and hits the streets. She argues with her professor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and then as, as the world opens up to her, as, um, as she becomes, settles more into this role of vigilante, spoiler, um, and interacts more with, with uh, specifically Red Robin, and Batman, um, you know, we see more of the city and we see more of what it's like to be um, a vigilante soaring over the, the rooftops of Gotham. So, so I, I don't know if uh, if you, you know, have caught this yet, but um, we're, we're big fans of or at least I'm a big fan of the the No Man's Land uh, uh, story arc. So when we decided to situate this and kind of sort of a timeline it's like okay so what if Steph is starting out right after no man's land so it's a little bit displaced from from where um where she is in the comics but but uh it's it's still very rooted in in the no man's land kind of uh context right so so gotham is rebuilding and that's the Gotham that that we get to see is like Gotham kind of starting to come out of the ashes again, right? After you know being cut off from from the rest of the world for a year or whatever, um, and and so Stephanie is like, okay, you know, she you have this optimism in Gotham, and you have Stephanie who's very optimistic kind of a character, so. So you you have kind of a parallel there between Steph and Gotham, and then and then you see what what happens. That's so that's so relevant to the the world now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Stephanie Brown is in a post COVID world, which we're in right now. So that, that that's so that's awesome that that. Oh, you... fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Trying to find out what the new normal is or how to get back to what we right. thought was normal. Right. Well, and and that's yes, yeah. I think that is relevant, and I think that is you know that that is very much um, kind of where Steph is at in our story, where where you know she's used to the old Gotham, you know she's used to the the villains of Gotham, you know, just taking over the streets. She's used to Batman having to be active every single night, uh, and and Batman being on the front page and the GCPD just scrambling, and uh, and. You know, and she's also used to seeing, you know, this her her world in turmoil, uh, and she, you know, in our story, it's like, well, she she wants to be uh, a force for good in that. She wants to to make a difference for 
for the city and and bring good things about in the city and she's she's trying to do that at, at the story beginning as much as she can um though she's not very skilled in it yet so i gotta say we we wrote this in 2019 yes before actually we started in 2018 we started, we started in 2018 yeah. we completed in 2019 before COVID happened, so the yep. girl in the mask has no re relation to <laughs> people wearing masks. <laughs> it's just like in 2020, it was like, oh, now the girl in the mask isn't like that unique anymore. Everybody <laughs> half of the country is a girl in a mask. No, it's like, okay. exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna stick with it. <laughs> so with with every every fan film, every production, I mean, even the big budget all the way down to just to fan art, everyone takes inspiration from from something, right? I mean, uh, Matt Reeves with the Batman, he took a ton of inspiration from Jeff Leo with Tim Sale. Mm -hmm. um, what was your guys' main inspiration here? Was there any specific books that you wanted to pull from, like visually, aesthetically, any movies? Was it all like, oh, we liked how Chris Nolan did that, or we liked how Matt Reeves did that? Like, what was your, what was your, your thing? What was your I gotta say, animated series. Animated series all the way, man. <laughs> all the way. All um, the way. We that that's what we grew up in, yeah. uh, with, yeah, and we yeah. used to watch that yeah. like every day. And uh, that's you know Kevin Conroy's Batman is the, Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know when I read the comics and Batman's voice talking, is the one that you hear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, millions of people like that. Like I still yep. every book I'm reading, I'm like. Like I, I had a book for the No Man's Land. I actually have the the novel that they they wrote, like they adapted oh, I have that too. a book for. Yeah. And when I was reading it, all the animated voices were what was the voices yep. were. And I'm like, wow, Gordon's yep. really hard Joker, book. and yeah. <laughs> so um, no, hundred percent animation. So, so definitely, there's the the animated series, and is I guess is a little aside, but but the first thing that drew me to uh kevin porter was that he sounds like kevin conroy sometimes <laughs> and then he's got that timbre he can really you know force it down and like you know become batman but, it's really but he cool. also does yeah. that that dichotomy of the bruce wayne where he's like kind of goofy you know mm -hmm. um kind of um kind of a put on bruce wayne right yeah. and then he becomes batman um yeah in, in a second but the, the you know Kevin has his own take on it. Uh, Kevin Porter has his own take on it. So, you know, he's not a he's not a Kevin Conroy clone, but there, there's a there's a connection there. Um, there's definitely, I guess they're they're playing in the same ballpark, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, well, you know, years ago, years ago, when when we uh, first started like watching fan films and stuff. Um, I mean, I think it started with Star Wars fans, fan films because, you know, of all the the cool um, competitions and things that were happening around that, that time. But we started watching um, Batman fan films, and one of, the, one of the ones that just stuck with us was The Truth of the Mask. And that was a film where Kevin uh, Porter played Bruce Wayne opposite um, uh, Riddler, and he was he was never in the cowl um but there's a there's a moment there's a scene where he's interacting with the riddler and uh in a moment kevin switches from being bruce wayne to batman without the cowl 
and it was just like oh that stuck with us you know and and that was years ago it's like oh kevin porter is an amazing bruce wayne slash batman and uh and and just like like in a way just like the live action version of of what we imagined uh um the animated series the animated series you know kevin conroy's bruce wayne slash batman to be um you know so yeah i i love the you know how colorful the villains are in in the animated series i love how intelligent the writing is yeah um how how deep and emotionally um resonant the the themes are i mean you, you can't they're, talk they're about... not afraid to tackle like really really dark themes in in the yeah, animated like there's series. an entire episode on child trafficking it's exactly yeah, yeah. my kids were watching that kids, one but it's yes a show. it's one of those, my kids like... were watching that one i was just like oh man what are you guys watching <laughs> <laughs> like i don't remember this episode but man that's kind of scary <laughs> yeah, yeah that bad guy with his alligators and I was like, oh my god, this show is insane. There's that. It was it was the uh, it was the Invisible Man one where where oh, yeah. um, where he uh, he has this invisible invisibility suit mm-hmm. that that there's a there's a chemical that is also driving him mad at the same time. Yeah, and he uh-huh. he tries to kidnap his own daughter and and like it's the creepiest thing where he's like he's like <laughs> visiting her every single night as it as an invisible ghost as her imaginary friend as an imaginary friend and it's like oh my goodness guys this is so creepy (laughs) but but i you know i watched exactly what they were doing back then yeah so wild time for animation so i you know so that that gave us the boldness too to to say hey you know if the animated series batman can tackle issues like this then um then we can also deal with some serious you know serious things that we want to themes and issues that we want to deal with as writers uh without being crass or or um grotesque graphically graphic yeah yeah i mean i think the for me i mean i'm not sure about you guys the first time i saw a fan film that hit me that made me realize that fan films can be more than just fan films I think it was actually I was in high school. It was uh, 2003, I think. It was Batman Dead End. It was that first mm. fan film where there was like Batman and Joker versus Alien and Predator. It was like this really oh, last yeah. second reveal. Um, oh, yeah. When I saw that one, I was like, okay, so people can really make fan films something that's truly elevated. I think that was the big shift where that guy showed up at Comic-Con. He showed the video. It was like eight minutes. Everyone lost their minds. And then within like, tw- like 24 months after that first thing came out, then the big renaissance of fan films came yeah. mm-hmm. and then it's kind of amazing how fans can, can pull this stuff off now where it's like we have this idea and now the technology is allowing us to do yeah. things that we wouldn't be able to do 20 years ago yeah, oh, yeah. and yeah. yeah now we can we can go nuts with it well chris and i have wanted to make films since i was like 11 so you know and and the technology like you said the technology just did not exist back then for for kids to pick up like literally their phones right and do do movies on 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 a handheld device it's like mind-blowing to me that that my kids can just like pick up pick up any device in the house and then just start you know creating um and and we didn't have that when i was 11 my son's my oldest son's 11 now and it's just like 
man, you know, you, you don't know, <laughs> you don't how know good you, you have it, you <laughs> know, but, but, but yeah, like you said, you know, the, the technology just affords, um, even the, the most, the smallest independent filmmaker who has a vision and an idea to go forward and, and just create. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing about, um, where our technology's at. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, an independent creator, you know, the, the average camera that they pick up is going to be capture better footage than the camera that George Lucas used for episode one. Right. <laughs> and that's just mind blowing to me. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. If I, I mean, mean even if, that is insane. Like, I mean, you can you can argue that okay, my cell phone camera is better than George Lucas's original trilogy, but it's even not, the but prequel you, but trilogy, <laughs> like you yeah. can kind of argue that I can run in 4K in 120 frames a second. Yeah, that's something that they could not do. And right, people now like Zack Snyder himself showed the power of a cell phone during his uh, Snow Steam Iron, I think it was, where he just yeah. made that short mm-hmm. film on of his on his iPhone, and he was just like, oh, was just have to have a vision, thing? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that you was. You just a- have to have a vision, and you have to like line up your shots. Basically, <laughs> that's yeah. all it takes. Like, it still takes the skill. Just because yeah. you have yeah. a hot camera does not mean that you can make a movie, right? Right. right. Um, yeah. You still got to know, you know, how to line up your shots. Like you say, you, you got to know how to light your. You know, if you don't light it, you're not going to see it. <laughs> but that that just that just shows you that like anybody can do it. You know, if you've got an iPhone. And you've got some, you know, lights out of your garage and you know where to put them. You know, anybody can can come up with a fantastic shot. And it's just going to be the raw talent of of the person behind the camera and, and writing it, you know, driving well, the story it, forward no, and uh, and practicing it and you practicing, know, practicing yeah, well, course, the, the craft, I think, is is uh, I mean, raw talent gets you so far. And then you have to see how, how things turn out and and see what works. And Chris, uh, Chris and I have, I mean, we have a, over a decade of, of commercial production experience at this point. So that's kind of our background. I started in um, wedding photography and, uh, and, you know, like, how do I get the best wedding shots? You know, where do I put my bride and groom? Uh, in relation to the sun and how do I bounce light and, and, you know, get, get a cinematic feel for, for, for this, um, this event, you know, because everybody wants to feel like they're coming out of the movies and, you know, that, that their wedding day is sort of that Disney fairy tale thing. Um, so, uh, coming from that and then into product photography and like, how do I light this, this product or this, this mask, you know, just perfectly <laughs> in in frame, and uh, and you know what what size light do I need? What you know how far away do I need to put it? And that that sort of thing. So I've you know we've Chris and I have practiced those kinds of things for over a decade at this point, um, and it's just at this point it's like, okay, we, now we have a story to tell. It's not just a product that we're photographing. You know, we've got a story to tell, and how do we take these skills? that we've sort of built in, in our professional, um, life and apply it to something that, uh, that is more story driven and, and apply it to, to a cinematic feel. 
that's it's honestly every time I hear how people start doing it, one of the common things that I have always heard. I mean, even from when I spoke to Zack Snyder about this, when I spoke to literally everyone, they always say the best thing that you can do is just just do it. Like mm-hmm. if you yeah. have that passion, if you have that that thing. I mean, Zack Snyder himself, he started in commercials, just like you guys, and that's where he first did it. Like he got out of his art school, then he just went and made commercials, and then then he started making movies. And it's just like yeah. night and yeah. day. He, now he's defined who he is. And like I said that before with the snow steam iron, he literally sat there with a the cell phone. <laughs> yeah. And just filmed yes. this thing with a cell phone. And that's what people tend to like aspiring filmmakers always tend to say, Oh, I, I don't have the degree, I don't have this, I don't have that. It's mm-hmm. like, but if you have the drive, if you have the passion, just get your feet to the ground and just start filming everything. Because well, eventually you can hone your craft. I, I think I think you hit it, you know, earlier when you when you ask us asked us what our inspirations were. And I think that's what that's that's the thing. Be inspired. Go out and be inspired by something. Um and 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 then get really, 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 really specific about what's inspiring you and then emulate it. Um and and you'll find that you have tools at your disposal. Um, whether you're it's in your bedroom or or you can borrow something from from a friend or a family member, you have tools that that you can actually go out and practice this stuff. Yeah, um, cinema lights. Go to Home Depot, get a halogen light. You yeah, know, yeah. Our our first our first um, foray into um, storytelling and and cinematic uh, um, movie making movie making. Uh, was with was with um, our local chamber of commerce. They said, "Hey, we've got this 70th anniversary gala that we're doing. It's a 007 theme themed uh, um, event. I think we need a video, <laughs> and and like we just want a a shot of a guy coming out of a car." I was like, "No, I'm, I'm going to do you better than that." Um, <laughs> and 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 we, I went and. I said, you know, what's your budget? And they're like, uh, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars. I'm like, okay. So I went and bought some lights at Home Depot, just you know, some strip lights, and uh, and we lit the entire thing with with you know twenty dollar, thirty dollar lights. Um, and it's just like, well, how do we place this? How do we diffuse it? Do we need to use like a shower curtain or something like that? And which, by the way, a shower curtain's a fantastic diffusion, you know, material. Uh, and, and, you know, and you just, you know, just play with what you've got and, and, but be inspired and, and, you know, and don't think that you're, you're held back just because you don't have millions of dollars. Um, and just do it and try it. And, and, you know, uh, and that's, that's how anybody starts and then, and then begins to succeed, um, by doing it. Yeah, I'm I'm learning so much right now because I'm I'm just starting my my filmmaking journey, so I'm just soaking up all this information like a sponge. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I get really excited when people start talking about filmmaking. So oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, like 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 I've said, I've wanted to make films since I was 11 years old, and I've wanted to write comics since I was nine, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I just you know I've got stories in my sock drawer that are just my my you know uh it's it's not my literal sock drawer but <laughs> but but you know my 
my sock drawer, it, you know, I've got stories that are just like tucked away that I'm, you know, I'm waiting to tell. And, oh. um, and it's just like, I've been waiting to tell these stories since I was nine years old. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but, but now with, you know, with a step into this and with, you know, the girl in the mask as, as sort of, you know, yes, we did, we did Red Hood fan series. Um, but the girl in the mask is the first thing that we've tried of this scale. And, and we've really, really tried and are trying to reach something, um, visually and, and cinematically and storytelling wise, that is just beyond anything that we've done before. So it's a challenge and, and we're loving it. That's, that's awesome. Well, I definitely thank you guys for coming on the show today. This has been just an absolute thrill to have you guys here. Uh, obviously, where can everyone find you guys? Well, you can find us on Instagram at Method Demandus Films. That's where a lot of updates are. And uh, MethodDemandusFilms.com is our, our website. But um, we have one week left. As of now, we have one week left in our As Indiegogo. of the recording of this. Yeah, this, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, for our Indiegogo crowd crowdfunding campaign. So um, we need help to make it. So let's, yeah. let's If you search Girl in the Mask yeah. or Stephanie Brown fan film on Google or something like that, you'll you'll find us. But uh, Method to Madness Films on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, uh, and also, you know, search for girl, the girl in the mask. Um, yeah, hashtag, we, we have so. the, the hashtag, the girl in the mask, which will more than likely uh, bring you our, our material. Yeah. And for those of you who are watching the video, you can actually scan that QR code in the top corner that, that links everyone, that links all of their links. That's their link tree. So it's got their social media handles, the Indiegogo, everything in between. So if you're at home, take out your phone, scan that, and then... Uh, follow these guys on the platforms and support this project because it definitely has all the makings of something that is worthwhile for fans of Batman and Stephanie Brown and everyone in between. So don't sleep on this one. All right. But on that note, thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, once the project's done, we'll, we'll try to bring you back on and talk more about it because this is exciting stuff. And oh, look forward to it. Yeah. I look forward for to sure. it. Also. This has been really yeah. fun. Thank, thank yeah, you. Caleb. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. This has been great. Yeah. Um, tell, tell Michael, sorry, we missed him. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's on him. That's on him. Like, he made his choice. He made his choice to pre-book himself for something. So that's his fault. <laughs> but well, we're, note, we're glad that we got to talk with you guys. Thank yeah, you so we're much. Glad that you had Appreciate us. And everyone who's been tuning in. Thank you all for joining us and we will see you all next time.